All right, so we are continuing our series called The Unexpected, and it is a great series that really is um, just drilling down on the gospel, the good news of God's grace. And it is freeing so many people to just enjoy him, enjoy each other, and to live a life of freedom, to live a life of love. Um, People are hungry for this. People need this idea that they're accepted in a warm and friendly environment. In fact, this last week, Yale University offered a class called Psychology and the Good Life. It's the psychology of happiness. 1,200 people signed up for this one class. They had to move the class several times because it kept getting bigger and bigger. It's the most popular class Yale has ever offered in their entire 400-year history. Students are dying to have a feeling of warmth and happiness, to be accepted, to be able to relax and to experience peace. So they're flocking to the psychology of happiness. One student said this, in reality, a lot of us are anxious, stressed, unhappy, and numb. That word emotionally numb is coming up a lot at Yale. And so Yale's trying to change their culture from this performance-driven culture to really more of a, of a peaceful culture. And this class is part of that. This student says, in fact, a class like this has such a large interest, speaks to how tired students are of numbing their emotions, both positive and negative, so they can focus on their work, the next step, the next accomplishment. And she's not alone. A lot of us feel that kind of stress and anxiety. We might have been raised in performance-driven families. School is performance-driven. Work is performance-driven. You go to church, and church is performance-driven. It's all these expectations that we lay on people, and at some point, we just get tired of the next task, the next task, the next task. And so this unexpected series really is about this flood of grace from the kingdom of heaven to us and to the whole world. And this wonderful invitation to enjoy God and to enjoy one another. And that's what Jesus came to bring. He came to bring a sense of peace and joy. In fact, he says uh, this, essentially, that our standing with God is determined only by his love for us and not our obedience to him. This is the great scandal of grace. Most people are raised in an environment that we have to earn God's favor, earn God's provision, earn God's goodness. And if we fail him, he'll judge us. If, If we you know, make him happy, then he'll bless us by what we do. That is not the message of the gospel. That is not the message of Jesus. Our standing with God is determined only by his love for us and not our obedience to him. This is the scandal of grace. It's so hard to believe, but it's in the clear teaching of Jesus and the apostles. In Ephesians 2, 8, 9, it is by grace you have been saved through faith and this not of yourself. It's a gift of God, not by works so that no one should boast. It's very clear. Our works, our religion, our goodness cannot earn anything from God. It's simply his love and grace poured out upon us. But it is so hard to believe. In fact, this, this jive billboard out there is just creating so much tension in this community, I guess. We got a call. Uh, this is another call that came in a couple of days ago in, in the morning. And she was furious. She demanded to know who put up that billboard. So we sent her to our printer, Dave. Talk to Dave. He did it. <laughs> But she was serious. She said, I need to talk to them right, right away. She said it was upsetting and needed to be taken down immediately. How can that be upsetting that God isn't disappointed with us, that he loves us, that he shows grace to us, that he forgives us? I mean, it's only upsetting to the kind of uptight religious community because it's a stumbling block to them. And that's really what is taught in 1 Corinthians 1, 23 and 24. The Apostle Paul is teaching the stumbling block of the gospel. He says, we preach Christ crucified. It's only through the crucifixion of Christ that we're forgiven. It's only through the crucifixion of Christ that our sins are taken away. It has nothing to do with us. 
that is a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to the Gentiles. But to those whom God has called, both Jew and Greek, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. What is preached is the gospel, the good news that we're only forgiven by grace, by love, by mercy, nothing that we can do of our own work, our own will, our own religion. It's purely God's grace. But God's grace is a stumbling block first to the Jew. The Jews, and and this is true of every religion, the assumption is that our religion equals purity, that we make ourselves pure the more religious we are, the better we are as people. And that's true of most of the world. But then there's also the Greeks. The Greeks understood wrongly that their knowledge would result in purity, their enlightened knowledge, their quest for information. And the gospel really is an affront to both the Jews and the Greeks. It's an affront to the religious people who feel they need to earn their way to God. It's an affront to the Gnostics that believe in the enlightenment that comes as a result of knowledge. The gospel says God has taken care of it all through Jesus Christ. He paid the penalty for your sin. It's forgiven. You are good with God. End of discussion by his grace alone. It's a stumbling block. Religious people can't take it, right? So we have been studying this grace. In fact, uh, when we started this series, we talked about unexpected grace and moved to unexpected honesty. Last week, we talked about unexpected kindness. Today, we're talking about unexpected fun. Because a community of grace can be fun. A community of grace can be an incredible experience together. But the reality is this. You're not going to hear a lot about fun in church. In fact, how many sermons do you think have ever been preached on fun in the 2,000-year history of the church? (laughs) Not very many. I searched. There's a very sophisticated industry of finding sermons. A lot of people, I even have some friends of mine, they just download a sermon on Saturday and preach it on Sunday. I think they're missing out. But you can find sermons anywhere about everything. I mean, just about every sermon that's ever been preached, you can find it online. I found less than five sermons that had anything to do with fun in an hour of searching, right? Only one was specifically on the subject of fun. The others were around Ecclesiastes 8, you know, that eat, eat, drink, and be merry kind of passage. And, uh, you know, there's some debate about how sane uh, that guy was. (laughs) He was very depressed at the end of his life. So um, there's not a lot out there. There's not a lot out there. In fact, there's a lot of images of grumpy church that seem to be most popular, probably for good reason. There's this kind of an image of church, kind of an angry mob. We're mad about something. We're mad at the world. We're mad at the failures of the world. And so we're after something. There's grumpy church pastor that's out there kind of judging and condemning and finger pointing. There's grumpy church politician, you know, coming from the ranks of the church to, you know, really go for a, a, a cause of politics. There's grumpy church lady little throwback. There's grumpy church baby and grumpy church cat. I mean, just, just grumpy everywhere, right? That's the reputation of churches. That's just grumpy people, kind of mean people judging. I'm going to show you a 30-second clip from a very famous movie, Pollyanna. It's an old classic. Uh, but this is what most people think of when they think of church, this kind of message. Take a look. And who is man to think he can withstand God's mighty wrath? Great mountains cannot stand before this wrath. Yea, he can lay the earth to pieces in one moment or shatter the whole universe with one spoke of his fiery sword. How dreadful is the state of those who are in daily danger of this great wrath, this abyss of death and despair. Yet, This is the dismal case of every soul in this congregation who has not been born again. 
however moral or strict, sober and religious you may otherwise be. There is no security for the wicked because there are no visible signs of death at hand. Unconverted men walk over the pit of hell on a rotten covering. <laughs> when people think of church, they think of those kind of memories, those kinds of messages, angry, fire, brimstone. But the reality is you look at the scripture and you cannot find a message of Jesus that has anything to do with that. You cannot find a message of the apostles that has anything to do with that. In fact, you look at the scripture and what you see is this incredible invitation to experience a God of grace. Now, yes, God is not happy with the sins and suffering of this world, for sure, but he is inviting us to participate in something brand new, a brand new community of grace, a community of kindness, and even a community that looks like a lot of fun. In fact, what God wants to usher us into is a community that creates a culture of honesty, a community of grace that creates a culture of kindness, and a community of grace that creates a culture of fun. Now, when I was first coming to church, I was a middle school student here at Rancho. They opened their doors, had a great time with middle school kids. We had a wonderful time together, and then we ditched the Bible study. Over time, I started hanging around for the Bible study because I saw that God's love wasn't just something they preached, but something they practiced. Those youth leaders during my youth group days genuinely cared for us. They took their time to hang out with us uh, at great sacrifice, even, you know, kind of buying the kids who needed some help, you know, you know food. It was, it was an amazing outpouring of love. And so God's love became real because of the love of that church. And as I graduated high school, Rancher Community Church needed a middle school pastor, and they asked me to do it. I was very young and immature and naive, but I said, hey, let's do it, right? So I got a bunch of high school kids together and said, let's create a middle school youth group that welcomes the middle school students of this valley and proves to them how loved they are by God and by us. And so we created Battle Zone. And Battle Zone still exists to this very day. This Friday night, Battle Zone middle school youth group, they're going to have a great time. And we just gathered the kids of the valley. In fact, there was a survey of all the middle school kids in Temecula and Rancho Community Church was the number one place to hang out. Because we loved hanging out with kids. We loved showing kids how much we loved them, right? We had a good time. I mean, the things that we did in that old church, I would never allow today. Would never allow. But we had a good time. And, and, and fun really is, is the merging of two incredibly important things. Fun is where relationship and amusement converge. Fun is where relationship and amusement converge. This is my definition, not Webster's. You can be amused by yourself. I think I'm a rather funny person, so sometimes I just laugh at myself all by myself. And that's not very fun, right? So you can be amused by yourself. It's not very fun. You can also have relationship without amusement. I mean, how many sour relationships are out there? That's not very fun either. So fun is really where relationship and amusement converge. And that is, that's life. That is life, where you're able to just enjoy each other, have a good time together, this is what we see as the heart of God. If we look to the scripture, we see the heart of God, and I'm telling you, it looks like fun to me. So let's go to the Old Testament. The Old Testament has seven feasts and festivals mandated in there. In fact, God, God says, these are the seven feasts and festivals that I want you to participate in. I, I want you to kind of party hard seven times a year, and these are very important celebrations of things I've done in the past or things I promise to do in the future. And so let's look at the seven. These are the feasts that God tells his people to participate in. The Passover, Unleavened Bread, First Fruits, Feast of Pentecost, Feast of Trumpets, Day of Atonement, Feast of Tabernacles. These are seven feast seasons. Now, some of these last several days. 
In addition to these, the Hebrews added more feasts. They added the Feast of Purim, the Feast of, uh, of Hanukkah, and the Feast of the New Moon every lunar month. They really understood that feasting and celebrating, that having fun together was a way to honor God, enjoy God, enjoy each other, and really live as the people of God in a vital and vibrant way. These are the seven biblical feasts. Now, I want to be really clear. This doesn't mean that things were always working out great for the Hebrews. In fact, many times there was either divisions, disobedience, or war, and they were experiencing very, very difficult times but they still perform the feasts. When life is going well, when we celebrate together, have fun together as a family of faith, enjoying God, enjoying one another, it's a good time to just celebrate the good things that are happening. But when things are not going so well, and there are people here today, right here in this auditorium, things are not going real well, and this whole idea of fun and beach balls isn't quite setting nicely, I want you to know that God still wants us to enjoy our relationship with him and enjoy our relationship with each other. Now, it may not all be sunshine and smiles, but that idea of enjoying relationship really is a very healthy thing to do. It's the core of our experience, just being alive, whether things are going well or whether things are going poorly. In fact, in Isaiah 56, 7, one of the feasts, the Feast of the Tabernacle, was really being identified here in terms of God's heart and God's vision for all of humankind. God says, I will bring the nations to my holy mountain. I'll bring them close to me and give them joy in my house of prayer. This is God's heart for all people, to experience joy in God's heart. <clears throat> for my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations. This is God's heart for us, that all tribes, all tongues, all nations will be welcomed in the family of faith, enjoying our relationship with God, enjoying our relationship with each other. That's the Old Testament, a culture of feast and festivals, of kindness and even fun. And then you have the New Testament. You have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And here we have the ministry of Jesus. The ministry of Jesus can be categorized as a celebration of life, a celebration of life. Now, the very first miracle of Jesus was important. For those of you who were raised in Sunday school, you may know that the first miracle of Jesus is when he turned water into, what? Wine at a marriage celebration. Now, a wedding celebration back in ancient Hebrew times would last up to seven days. Thank God it's only a half a day here because we'd go broke. We have two daughters and you know, there's only so much we can take. But a wedding feast would last seven days in the ancient Hebrew culture. So here are the people celebrating this brand new wedding. And what would happen is they would bring out the good wine first. Because when you're first drinking wine, for those of you who are into wine, when you first drink wine, your palate is very sensitive. Your palate can you know, kind of taste good wine and really enjoy good wine. I don't have to get too detailed here. The more wine you drink, the less refined your palate is. Make sense? So the Hebrew celebration, you bring out the good wine first, and then you bring out the cheap wine later because nobody cares. At the wedding of Cana, where Jesus performed this miracle, the good wine was gone, the bad wine was gone, so these guys were really celebrating, and there was no more wine. So here's how the story goes. When the wine gave out, the mother of Jesus said to him, we have no wine. And Jesus says, I'm not sure why that's my problem. Mary says, could you help fix this problem? And Jesus says, sure. And he gives some instructions and sure enough, he turns the water into wine. Now it was good wine. Jesus didn't make the bad stuff. He made the good stuff. And the master of the ceremony really was powerfully impacted by how good this wine was. It says this, Everyone serves the good wine first and the inferior wine after the guests have had too much to drink. 
but you have kept the good wine until now. Jesus did this, the first of his signs in Cana of Galilee, and revealed his glory and his disciples believed in him. Now, the reason why this is so important is that the entire thrust of the ministry of Jesus is heading towards a wedding celebration. In fact, the wedding celebration is, is what, where all of human history is headed for. We are headed for an eternal celebration, right? And Jesus says it's not going to get worse as it goes along. It's going to keep going and going and going forever. The entire thrust of the ministry of Jesus was to ensure that we are all celebrating together. And yes, having fun together, enjoying our relationship with God and our relationship with one another. The very first sermon Jesus preached, nine times he offers happiness. Happiness based on nine character qualities that ensure we have this deep joy. Jesus also entered people's houses. He ate with them and drank with them, all kinds of people. The good, the bad, the rich, the poor, he was always in people's houses celebrating with them. In fact, at one point, Jesus got resoundingly um, hammered for, for uh, hammered is a bad word in the wine deal. He got, he got criticized, fiercely criticized <laughs> for hanging out at, at people's homes and eating and drinking with them. In fact, Jesus, um, next slide here, the tax collectors and sinners were all gathered around to hear Jesus, but the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered. These are religious people muttering because Jesus was hanging out in the house of people that weren't the approved religious people, right? These are the people who were even labeled sinners. And, and this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. And Jesus told them these parables. Jesus was, was criticized fiercely for hanging out in people's homes, eating with them and drinking with them because they weren't approved religious people. They weren't the good people. They were the corrupt people. They were the sinful people. And Jesus says, this is where I belong. I belong with these people celebrating together, celebrating who they are, celebrating God's grace given to them. Jesus tells them three stories. These are the three parables of Luke chapter 15. The first story is the story of the lost sheep. Remember that story? There's a shepherd who has a hundred sheep. One of them goes astray. The shepherd leaves the 99, rescues the one, and brings back this one sheep celebrating. Here's the punchline. I tell you in the same way there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. Jesus says, I'm going after people who are the sinners, the least, the last, the lost. I want to love them. I want to embrace them. And I want to bring them into the grace and love of my heavenly father. Then Jesus tells them a second story. The story of a woman who lost her coin, very valuable coin, right? Her livelihood depended on the coin. She lost it. She's tearing the place apart. She finds the coin and celebrates. Here's the punchline. In the same way, I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Every story is about celebrating, celebrating, celebrating people coming to God's grace and God's love. Then the last story of Luke chapter 15 is the lost son. The son who takes half the inheritance and goes and squanders it. We detailed it two weeks ago, so I'll just tell you the punchline. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found, so they began to celebrate. Celebration is a theme of the teaching of Jesus having a good time together, enjoying God's grace, enjoying God's love, and enjoying one another. In fact, Jesus tells stories of a man who found a great treasure buried in the ground. He celebrates and buys the ground. Uh, he tells the story of a king who throws a great feast. He tells the story of a wedding banquet. The kingdom of heaven is compared to celebrations. In fact, the kingdom of heaven is a great community of friends enjoying God and enjoying one another. The kingdom of heaven is designed to be fun, 
It's designed to be fun. It's designed to be a good time. We see that in the Old Testament. We see that in the ministry of Jesus. And we see that in the early church. The church community is also a celebration of life. We see famously in Acts chapter 2 this brand new church. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together, get this, with glad and sincere hearts. They had a good time together. They met in large settings and small settings. They met in formal settings and informal settings. They just loved each other. They enjoyed each other. They had a good time together. Even Peter, the apostle Peter, understood that you could have a good time in the kingdom of heaven. The apostle Peter famously is a man of hot temper and a grumpy man. That's kind of Peter's reputation. He was always flying off the handle, always had something to say, always was criticizing other people, right? But even Peter, toward the end of his ministry, wrote this. Though you have not seen him, this is Jesus, though you have not seen Jesus, you love him, and even though you do not see him now, you believe in him, and get this, are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. Even Peter, this grumpy church guy, this hot-tempered, angry man, understood later in life that this message of grace, this message of love, this message of forgiveness can result in inexpressible and glorious joy. In fact, he and the apostle Paul got into it. This is all over the New Testament. They were angry at each other. You can read about this in Acts and uh, Galatians. They're going at each other because Paul is teaching grace and Peter's saying, no, you gotta have the law and you have the commands and, and all this stuff. And, and Paul publicly criticized Peter because he's so uptight. And finally, at the end of his ministry, he relaxes and he gets to enjoy the peace that comes through Jesus Christ with an inexpressible and glorious joy. We've talked about the Old Testament, the life of Jesus, the life of the early church. Finally, let's talk about eternity. Eternity, you might be happy to know, is a giant celebration. It is a giant celebration. Not only does the teaching of the Old Testament, but the teaching of the New Testament points to this party, an eternal celebration known as the wedding feast of the Lamb. Jesus is the Lamb of God who gave his life to pay for his church. The wedding feast is compared to an eternal wedding celebration. Now, in the ancient Hebrew mind, uh, this is very critically important because what would happen is the groom would pay a price for his bride. I know for, to us that sounds very foreign and even, even terrible, but that's the culture of the time. A price would be negotiated for a husband to be married to his wife. That price would be paid. That price would seal the covenant that the husband would be married to the wife. That's the covenantal period. Jesus Christ laid down his life to pay the price for his bride. We, the church, are the bride of Christ. We are the bride of Christ. Jesus, in love, paid the price in full to make us holy, to make us clean, to make us pure. He gave his own life to forgive our sins. So in his eyes, we are perfect. We are radiant. We are pure. We are unblemished. We are holy in his eyes because he paid the price. That is this unexpected grace. We are now in that betrothal period, the covenantal period. In the ancient Hebrew mind, it would take a year or two before the actual wedding would take place. And when that wedding took place, it was a feast like you wouldn't even imagine, a seven-day celebration of this union between the groom and the bride. When we talk about heaven, I don't know a lot about it, but what I do know is that Jesus says it's a wedding feast that lasts forever. And it's the good stuff, right? It never gets old. It never gets inferior. It's an eternal wedding banquet celebrating God 
celebrating our union with God and celebrating our union with one another. In fact, the entire ministry of Jesus and his church is preparing for a great eternal wedding feast where the whole world celebrates our union with God by his unexpected grace. That's what we call heaven. It's all headed towards a giant party, which is incredible to think. Revelation 19.7, let's celebrate and be happy and give the glory to him, Jesus Christ, for the marriage of the lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. In Revelation 21, these are the final chapters of the Bible. I saw the holy city, this is the new Jerusalem, the church, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is among the people and he will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. This is the union, the wedding feast of the Lamb, an eternal celebration, enjoying God and enjoying one another. So get this, if that's our future, shouldn't we as a church just be a little glimpse of that future? Shouldn't, shouldn't we as a church just be a little bit of a, of a wedding celebration that is full of life, a vibrant life where we are celebrating God and celebrating each other? Church should be more fun than grumpy, right? Absolutely, we have so much to celebrate, particularly God's grace and God's love for us. I'm gonna invite up Ryan Beaver. Ryan Beaver's a good friend of mine. He's our brand new children's pastor here at Rancho. He helped launch Rancho Marietta, and, um, and he's an adequate golfer. So let's welcome him up on the stage here. To Thank you. Talk about fun. Now, you had, a, you had a title for me last time. What was the title? Uh, King of Fun. King of King Fun. King of Fun. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I can die happy with that title. That's right. And it's, it's totally appropriate. Yes, it, thank you. Anybody who knows Ryan knows Ryan's a ton of fun. Now, you've made fun of yourself a little bit that you're a kid in an adult body. A lot of people say that about me. Yes, that's right. So you just embrace that. Yeah, it is what it is. It is like what said, it is. That's I'd right. rather be that than the alternative. I totally agree with That'd you. That'd be weird. I, I, totally, I totally agree with you. So we're talking about fun. We had to have Ryan up here. Uh, he is creating a children's ministry right next door over here on our Wednesday nights. By the way, Wednesday night is called. Super fantastic Wednesdays. Right. So it's totally appropriate that you're here. Got to make sure kids know what they're going to get. Exactly, totally. So um, you live kind of a lifestyle of fun, and and it's it's a good thing to really see embodied in you and in your family this concept that we're talking about today. So yes. you have to close out our time by talking about why is it that maybe church life and fun don't quite mix at times. All right. Well, okay. That's a, that's a question I've been chewing on. You, you mentioned it to me, and, and and there's a couple different ways that I would wrestle with that. The first way is that I do think that there, is, there are people on the, you know, the, the more traditional, old school, kind of legalistic church side that they see fun as incompatible with their faith because fun, in their minds, is a slippery slope. Fun is a, you know, uh, there's a phrase that I've heard before, you know, you don't want to dance because you know what dancing leads to. And it's like this idea that if you, if you tiptoe into fun, you're likely to go rolling down that hill and who knows where you'll end up, what sort of destruction and, and mayhem. And, and there's certainly some truth to the idea that some things that people consider fun lead to destruction. But uh, the problem is, is oftentimes they avoid it altogether. And so I think that on that end, there's that. But I do think that there are people that look at the church and they say that's incompatible with fun. There's, if I want to have fun, the last place I want to go is to the church. I grew up uh, with something similar to that. I, I know that for me, um, the church was something I went to. It was something I did because I didn't want to go to hell. And, and it certainly wasn't something I thought, man, following God, following Jesus, that's, that's a fun way to live. I thought of it as the opposite. I thought of it as a, a bunch of rules that I had to, to, you know, to not do these things to please God. When I was growing up, the way that you put a smile on God's face was by not doing things you're not supposed to do. And that's lifeless, that's soul-sucking, and that is anything other than what I would call an abundant, fun-filled, joy-filled life. 
And, and so for me, there was a breakthrough that happened, you know, in my probably early 20s where I started serving in children, in youth ministry, actually. And, and I stumbled into this fullness and I couldn't put my finger on how I got there. But uh, there was a passage I read one day in, in Romans chapter 13 that said, the commandments against murder, against adultery, against uh, stealing. And it says, and any other commandment like it, which is what I grew up trying to avoid. All these do nots. It says they're all summed up in this one do, which is to, to love God and to love people. And, and if I had to put a finger on why I began to see the shift in my personal life is because church became more about that than it did about avoiding bad things. And so I would argue that it, 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 it doesn't seem compatible because the church has marketed itself as, as kind of this really grumpy, finger-waving, don't do this type of thing. I don't know if that, if that answers your question. It absolutely but. does. And it falls right in line with what we've been talking about here today, that the kingdom of heaven is designed for enjoyment, to enjoy God, enjoy each other. And if we can be free of that, free from that you know, weight of do's and don't list, and free to just enjoy this life that God has given us, it's a beautiful life. Absolutely. And, and, and sure, there's struggles here and there, for sure, and some are very powerful, but it is a beautiful life with beautiful people around us. Yeah. So so how have you lived this out in your family and in the church, the family of faith? Well, I, I've told you this, but I'm, I am a big believer that, that fun should happen in your, in your household. I am, I am trying constantly, first of all, because I get bored easily, but, but also just because <laughs> I want my kids to, to think of their childhood and think of fun memories. I believe, uh, you know, one of my biggest jobs as a, fa- as, a, as a father is to create memories, and a lot of those are linked to, to fun. When I look back on my childhood, I can, you know, there's a few moments that stick out. There's a lot of memories, but the ones I remember are, you know, my mom, like, saran wrapping the kitchen so we could have a food fight in the kitchen. Like, that's awesome. That's a great memory. I remember my dad dragging me through mud puddles on a grass field because we were about to play mud football, and he didn't want me to hold back, right? (laughs) And it was just like, those types of things are great. And so for me as a parent, I want to create memories, and I want to create memories that not only they can look back and remember how much fun they had, but I also want my parents to carry fun as a value going forward. I want them to to value that in their, their household as well. And the biggest thing I would say is this, is that, I don't know how I'd word it, but I believe that there's a connection between um, fun and fondness. I believe that when you have fun with people, you find yourself growing in fondness towards them. And I want my family to be a family that's fond of each other. And so that's on me to create fun. And, and for me as a children's pastor, I see that as, as kind of a challenge for me within this church is that I want to give you guys opportunities to have fun with your kids, not just send them to Wednesdays where they can go and have fun, but we want to create opportunities for you to, to do things with your kids. And so when we have those things, I would encourage you guys to, to look for opportunities to, to join us on that. But yep. for me and my family, that's, that's why we do it and how we do it. 